Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Judgment Podcast. Hello, folks. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. And we're back today with another exciting topic. Tell them about it, Wade. So, Tane, you remember when we did a presentation to all of the Superior Court judges on merger? Oh, yeah. I remember you doing a presentation of me sort of standing back with my hands in my pockets. Do you remember when we did it again for NJO? Yeah. And I remember me standing back with my arms crossed. Remember that other time where we did it for the judges again? I think I didn't show up that time. Actually, I think that's actually true. I don't <laughs> think you were at that third one. So when we last did this, Tane, I had sort of developed Wade's five rules of merger. And we recorded an episode of this awesome podcast, the Good Judgment Podcast, dealing with merger. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. I think it was like our third and fourth episode or maybe the second and third episode of this very podcast. Now, if people wanted to read that outline and see those five rules of merger, where would they go? They could go to goodjudgepod.com. That's our website. Awesome. Now, Tane, I needed a sixth rule, not because like a, like I need it, but there's one more area that's related to merger but not quite. So we need to update all of those other merger episodes with this merger 2.0 or whatever. Yeah. And Tane, it's a little different, but it's the same. You know, kind of like they do on TV, a little different, but the same. So look, dedicated listeners, pull out all of your handwritten and hand scribbled show notes that you always take when you're watching or listening to this podcast, the day that it comes out on your favorite podcast platform, uh, get those out now, tear out a new sheet of paper and attach it to the back. Right, Wade? This is rule six, buddy. Rule six. So now I kind of feel like, you know, we had the six shooter in our holster and there was one empty chamber and now it's going to be filled and now we're going to be ready to rock and roll. Okay. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Wade. Rule six is the unit of prosecution. Now, Tane, remember we talked about in merger, we were talking about when whether or not the defendant can be convicted of multiple crimes stemming from one act. Remember that? Yes. Like I remember distinctly us talking about if there's one dead guy, there can only be one murder. Is that still the case, Wade? That is absolutely true. Those first five rules have not changed. But the sixth rule asks a little bit different question. What about when you have a defendant charged with multiple counts of the same crime? Can he be convicted? Now, Tane, tell the folks about being convicted. What is a conviction? Yeah, so a lot of times people confuse this with what the jury does at the end of its deliberations. Juries find people guilty and not guilty. They acquit people, but they don't convict people. A conviction is not completed until a sentence is rendered on the um and the written and the written order of that sentence is filed with the clerk. A hundred percent. See, you're doing so good. You did it off the top of your head, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And, th and that's because, you know, usually I'm just standing with my hands in my pockets listening to you, Wade. So every once in a while, something sinks in. So the reason I did the sixth rule and left it the sixth rule and not the third rule or whatever 
is because it's important that you do the merger rules in order. And if you understand the first five, you can start to understand the sixth one. Now, Tane, do you remember law school? Mm, that's been a long time ago, Wade. Do you remember it's, sitting? It's, that in, was the 80s. Ooh. Yeah, I know. Do you remember constitutional law and sitting there and people talking about substantive rights versus procedural rights? I do. I, I remember I was sitting there and I had a mullet and, <laughs> and, and I was wearing blue jeans and a T-shirt. And, and yeah, and I remember people talking about substantive rights. Yeah, I do. So I never understood that. When they would talk about that, I was like, how is one set of words either a procedural right or a substantive right? Or how can there be both in the same set of words? I never understood that. And I would sort of check out, you know what I mean? Like in the conversation, I wasn't following, wasn't tracking. Yeah. Lo and behold, that's relevant to this. No you way. see, merger is, Tane, if I ask you what is the... um double jeopardy rule. If you're at a cocktail party and somebody, you know, clinks glasses and says, Tane, tell me what is the, the double jeopardy rule? Your short answer would probably be what? Short answer. Now uh, cocktail party answer, non-lawyer. It's worth twice as much money as the first round of jeopardy. No, that's not that. That's, that's the Alex Trebek. I wish you could see my face oh. right now. Cause I'm like, what is he talking about? <laughs> No, but double jeopardy, as we all knew it from being kids, you can only be tried once for a crime. If you get acquitted, then more power to you. They can't try you again, right? Unless the feds decide to try you <laughs> a second time, but that's a whole different thing. So that's procedural double jeopardy. Substantive uh -huh. double jeopardy is merger. If we were being more articulate and not lazy with our words, we would call this we would call it substantive double jeopardy. Nobody wants to do that. It's much easier to call it merger. Well, mm -hmm. now that we've gotten through that, we've got to unit of prosecution. Now, Tane, in the traditional merger analysis, that asks whether multiple different crimes have been committed. In unit of prosecution, it's a little different. It says you've got multiple charges of the same crime. And the unit of prosecution, I guess, analysis ask whether the defendant violated the same statute more than once. And in our, our appellate courts, especially lately, have really applied these rules of unit of prosecution, particularly in child pornography cases and gun possession cases, either by a, position, by a convicted felon or during, uh, the during a commission of a crime. Of a crime. Exactly. Right. So, Tane... We we're going we're gonna to have an outline available to everybody on the website, which is? Goodjudpod.com. And on page 25 of this really long outline, it, it sort of says exactly what I've tried to say with a thousand words in about two sentences. Merger questions may also arise when a defendant is charged with multiple counts of the same crime which is the situation in this case, the one that's being quoted, where the defendant was charged with and found guilty of four counts of child molestation. In this context, the merger analysis requires careful interpretation of the criminal statute at issue to, to identify the unit of prosecution. 
the precise act or conduct that the legislature criminalized. So, Tane, you have been through trials where the indictment or the accusation has alleged that the date is a material allegation, right? Yes. So they said that you committed this crime on on January 3rd, and you committed the same crime, but on January 4th, and then the same crime on January 6th, and the date being a material allegation. If the date is a material allegation, assuming it's proved, those can survive as separate convictions. Unit of prosecution is where you simply said the defendant committed the act of child molestation on or about and some date, again, not a material allegation, which, you know, to wit, and then they describe the act or whatever that they claim that the the state claims as, as being the criminal act. Although this is very close to merger, traditional merger, I contend it's a subset of merger because this says, can you be convicted again with the written order being filed with the clerk of multiple counts of the same crime. So Tane, where, and I'm kind of looking at page 26 of this outline where, where an armed robbery is committed Tane and they take the cell phone and the tennis shoes and the wallet. Right. Is that three armed robberies? No, that's one armed robbery, three items they took. Right, because the crime is with a weapon taking anything. Right, any property. Right. The fact that that, that multiple items are stolen is only evidence of the underlying crime of armed robbery. That's not separate crimes. You agree? Yes, definitely. Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. And we're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to the action. So the facts, Tane, can matter a lot in unit of prosecution, just like they did with merger. So where the defendant is charged with two counts of child molestation, one based upon the defendant touching the child's breast and the second alleging the defendant touched the child's vagina, if the facts show that these incidents occurred 20 times, okay, I'm just throwing a number out there, 20 times over a lengthy period of time, a rational trial of fact could find that there are two separate incidents and the unit of prosecution analysis would not require those to be merged because the facts being alleged were different. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. There's, there's something that differentiates them. Now, by comparison, when the indictment charges two counts of child molestation, both alleging that the defendant touched the child's vagina maybe in different ways, those two counts are going to have to merge because the act that is criminalized is the touching 
and there was not touching of one part of your body versus another. There's not a date as a material allegation. There's not a location as a material allegation. You see the difference? Yeah, absolutely. They're two, they're essentially too similar to be prosecuted separately. So Tane, I know you're going to find this hard to believe. I have been reversed before. No, no. I know. My whole, my whole world just turned upside down. I know. You it's know, true. Wait, as, as, as much respect as I have for the appellate courts, I must say in that case, I feel like they were wrong and I don't even know the case. <laughs> That's just moral support for your boy, right? That's exactly right, man. So, but I, I do love the appellate courts. Do not be mistaken <laughs> about that. I, they are amazing and fantastic. So in the context of child pornography, I told you this comes up a lot there. And the existing language of the statute says the interpretation has been that it doesn't matter. And Tane, the, the, the formal crime is sexual exploitation of a minor, okay? Yes. But child pornography is really what it is in this possession of child pornography, not manufacture of it. It says that it doesn't matter where the, whether that defendant has one image or 100 images. Well, and, and, and if I remember correctly, Wade, it's because their ruling on that turned on essentially a single word that's used in the statute, correct? And it's a big word. Yeah. Any. Yeah. The possession of any child pornography is illegal in the statute. And the legislature, I mean, in the uh, uh, appellate courts have said what that means is possession of one image, possession of 100 images. It's all illegal and it's all one crime. That's right. And so any they talk about it being qualitative instead of quantitative and, and all of that. But at the end of the day, they have made a, a ruling. And my case was called Mackey. It followed a, a case called Ed Volson, E-D-V-A-L-S-O-N, and which it says it doesn't matter how many you possess. If there's one or 101, it doesn't matter. The, the act that was criminalized is the possession of any child pornography. Now, I will tell you, the legislature has a bill rolling around the legislature as we speak in which they are seeking to basically put a non-merger provision in that statute, saying that every separate image survives as a separate conviction or can't, they don't merge, which the legislature can do. Right. Well, think about it this way, just so it'll make sense to people. It's sort of like if the legislature had just said possession of cocaine is illegal. Okay. Then it wouldn't have mattered if you had a, an ounce of cocaine or 20 pounds of cocaine, it would be illegal to have it. But instead, the legislature has chosen to say, if you possess this, this much cocaine, it's this penalty, and this much cocaine, it's this penalty. Um, and, and so they could differentiate pornography or, or really anything else in the same way. And that's what they're looking at potentially doing, correct? Exactly. They're, they're not going to call it trafficking in pornography or possession with intent to distribute pornography. But I think it's a great analogy because – the the legislature has said when you get to these additional facts, it moves from possession to possession with intent. If you if you have these additional facts, it moves to trafficking. There is no such differentiation between in the in the sexual exploitation statute. And so 
that, that, that that's a great analogy. Now, I told you, Tane, this really comes up in child pornography and in firearm cases. Mm-hmm. One of uh, our good friends, Kelly Brooks, from the Waycross area, he hey. uh, he had a case. I'll never forget this. Shout right out after, for the nine one two. Right after the um, he had been through NJO, he he called me and and we talked about this case because a defendant had who was a convicted felon, I think, had multiple firearms in his possession, and in having multiple firearms, Judge Brooks was imposing sentence per firearm. That made a lot of sense to me. It made less sense to the appellate courts. And they said, no, no, you've got to go back to unit of prosecution. Now, Tane, this paper has all the sites that everybody can get. They can get it on goodjudgepod.com. But let me just give you sort of the the Cliff Notes version. I know you like Cliff Notes. You know I do. Basically, it says what drives the number of convictions that survive in firearms cases is the number of victims. So if you committed an armed robbery against Tane, and then you committed an armed robbery against Tane's wife, and you had seven guns on you, and you used them all because you're just that way, it could only be two convictions. One for Tane, one for Tane's wife. Yeah. That a is lot of times ba- when a, a lot of times when I commit an armed robbery, I'll have a gun in each hand and I always hold them sideways. Always. Well, I mean, but that's just, but that's just the way I roll (laughs) anyway. So you were saying, (laughs) I'm just saying that it's, it's driven whether or not there can be multiple counts, not by the number of guns, not by the number of crimes committed with guns. It's the number of victims that matters. So one of the things that we try to do, Tane, is we give people something they would, um, that they can use. And, Tane, do you remember now? This is a flashback, you know, way back. Do you remember the whole discussion of deliberate interval? Yeah, that was really fascinating. <laughs> you're, you're stretching this a little bit, but okay. What we talked about is merger all is based upon is there a single act, right? Right. And if there was a single act, then you probably cannot be convicted of multiple crimes unless you go through the required evidence test, a whole big conversation. Mm-hmm. But if there's a deliberate interval, it's not a single act. And mm-hmm. therefore, you could have multiple convictions for different crimes or whatever if there's a deliberate interval. We talked about the guy, Tane, in the garage that came in the garage and like held the guy up and then took him upstairs to the and kidnapped him upstairs to the safe and didn't get anything out of the safe and came back down to the garage all at gunpoint and finally stole his wallet. And mm-hmm. there was a deliberate interval. We talked about all that. You remember that? Yeah, absolutely. And so deliberate interval applies to this too, Shazam. How so? Well, as an example, where the defendant is charged with two counts of aggravated assault, aggravated assault against a single victim, one for pointing the weapon and one for shooting the weapon. Those those offenses generally merge under a unit of prosecution analysis. Right. However, if there's a deliberate interval between the pointing of the weapon and the discharge of the weapon— it may not. So, for example, when they're at a party in an apartment complex and the defendant pulls the gun and points it at the at the victim in the sideways at in the apartment. And then 15 or 20 minutes later, as the victim is trying to leave the parking lot, shoots him in while the guy's in the car. 
there is a noticeable, proven, deliberate interval, and those can be two counts, just like they can in merger. And if you're the judge in that case and you're trying to decide whether they merge and you say, mm, I think there was a deliberate interval, wouldn't it be good to point that out, Wade, and maybe talk about it on the record and, uh, you know, make some point? I think we talked about that in our other merger uh, episode. And, you know, making a record is never bad. The only problem is when it's a guilty plea and other people in your ambit are not thinking merger. They're thinking, I want to go to lunch. So I'm going to tell you they had words in the at the apartment and then he shot him in the parking lot. Judge, they don't merge. Wait a minute now. We need some facts to support that. And um, the, the only real unfortunate part is that as much as judges do not understand merger and unit of prosecution, I don't think lawyers understand it either. I, I call, I am right now calling upon the prosecuting attorney's counsel to ask you down to wherever their raucous uh, conference is next year uh, to, to have you explain merger in the amazing way that you always explain it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. That's what I need to do. Something else. Um, right. So folks, this is the Good Judgment Podcast. It's the, it's a, a product of Tain and I's imagination. And if you want us to talk about things other than unit of prosecution, if you have some other ideas, we're happy to take them. Uh, we've had a couple of cleanup episodes where we've had changes in the law since we recorded the first episode to now. But this will be one that uh, I think will stand the test of time. I don't think the statute's going to, maybe the statute will change, but I don't think so. And don't forget, if you do have questions about this topic or any topic, or you want to suggest any topics to us, you can always reach out to us at our email address at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. So with that, folks, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Don't forget to merge. Well, folks, that's all we have for another exciting and enthralling topic here on the Good Judgment Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This project was the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to the entire University of Georgia College of Law for assisting in our recording. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But nobody can get it all. Tane and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia. Thanks to our NJO graduates who've been willing to help with this podcast series. You know that these are our opinions, and they do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anybody else for that matter. You can contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise, but please contact someone else with any complaints. But seriously, we would love to have your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. You've been doing a great job doing that. We really appreciate the help. You can also visit our website at goodjudgepod.com for outlines and more details about our podcasts. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening. Hey, Tane, I guess it's time to bang the gavel on this one. Any last thoughts before we wrap up this session? <laughs> yes, Wade. Yes, I do have some thoughts. Tom Petty was right. The waiting is the hardest part. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.